I thought I'd finished season five, but this birth story kept coming back at me. So I'm going to feature it as the last episode for this season. The season's gone on and on, but birth stories just keep coming. I don't do trigger warnings, so, you know, life doesn't offer us trigger warnings. This is a heavy story, though. Heavy duty from an amazing woman. I know a lot of strong women. And I would say that this woman is probably the strongest person I know, and I've known her for a really long time, and she doesn't ever cease to amaze me. I'm just going to just, I just want to not even critique, but I just want to talk a little bit about what is going on in this crazy story. First of all, there's a lot of anger. Um, I hear her anger. I hear her baby was angry. She says that it's probably the drugs. I imagine it's a lot of things. And she keeps laughing it off. She's just laughing about it because what else can you really do? Of course, we know there's a lot to do, but we don't want to sit and cry about things or, or sob or make a big victim thing. So we can laugh a little bit. There are really long-term side effects to a traumatic birth. There's anger, there's depression, there's sadness, there's regret, there's guilt, there's shame. But physically, there can be the loss of your control over your bladder or even your bowels. There can be the loss of sexual feelings. There can be the loss of your sensations as a woman. It's a big old loss. It's not a win. And when we say, of course, your baby's healthy, of course, that's for sure. But I think we do underestimate and we do not talk about the effects of these traumatic births on us as women. And when she says at a certain point in our chat that she just wants to be treated with some kind of respect, she just wants to be treated like the adult woman she is. And I would also point out that any woman that is having a baby is enough of an adult woman to be spoken to with that type of respect. So spread the love, people. Listen up, and let's make a change in the face of birth. I am an educator. And how many children do you have? Two. So what environment were they born in? At hospital, uh, at home, both or in a birthing centre? Both were born in hospitals. It was One was in 77 and the other was in 81. And what? So, uh, how many people were present at the births besides yourself? Well, my then husband. And with number one, at the end, there were so many people in there, I lost count because it all turned into a bit of a disaster. At the beginning, it was just three people plus him. So. And the second one? The second one, uh, that was about five people again because that went pear-shaped too. I'm not very good at having babies. <laughs> so what, what, would you, what would you say made your birth experience or experiences traumatic? I think they, I was induced with the, sec the first one and 
it was the old crochet hook thing and then they put me onto some sort of drip and it started really hard contractions really fast and they went on and on and on and on and on it was absolutely terrible it was a very hot day and very humid and there were no fans don't forget this was in the 70s so you know it's fairly recent the midwife was lovely i can still remember what she looks like i can't remember her name she was absolutely super and then um they decided to give me a an epidural which helped a bit and i went to sleep and then they suddenly woke me up and said no you've got to start pushing now and i couldn't feel anything and then I was pushing and pushing and pushing and nothing happened and they said oh um we're going to get the consultant by this time it was after midnight and i'd started the whole nonsense at eight o'clock two mornings previous and i the i think the epidural was wearing off a bit as well by then and i could feel that when i pushed nothing happened and it turned out that he somehow got his head turned round and stuck up against my pelvis which I believe is a normal thing that happens sometimes but he wasn't budging they then tried a Vontuze nothing happened so they then did high forceps the consultant came in and did high forceps which ripped me to shreds not to put two pound a point on it though I didn't realise that at the time. And I do remember saying, I don't care what you do, just get it out. Cut its head off if you have to. I don't care. <laughs> As one does. I mean, I was only 21 and I was, you know. Anyway, um, they got him out and then he was whisked away immediately and given to Philip, who was by now outside in the corridor. And so I didn't see him again for about three hours. And... I was really groggy and they sort of started repairing some of the damage and the, it was a very nice Ethiopian house doctor, whatever, I think registrar probably. And he, I remember his head popping up from between my legs and saying, oh my God, dear, the bio tapestry, she has nothing on you. <laughs> Which is funny now. And it was funny then, but I then ended up having I was in hospital for nearly three weeks. I got infections, I got bladder infections, I got infections in my stitches. Um, poor old Matthew had terrible bruises on his head and a black eye as well. So he looked like he'd been in a thing. And it took ages for it all to heal up. And I can't, I can still remember the pain. Then, I had, it took a long time to be prepared to even have another baby and fortunately Mother Nature sends some hormones down to sort of ease the way a bit and I was assured it would never happen again and I tried to get an elective caesarean because the consultant had said if we don't get this baby out, it's one of the things I can remember, we don't get this baby out now, it's going to have to be emergency c-section with Matthew. And they said it would never happen again. Well, with Patrick, I went into labour at 30 weeks and they stuck me in, they said I was three centimetres dilated, I think, and they stuck me in hospital um, on a drip of some horrible stuff or other that made me vomit all the time. And I was there for six weeks flat on my back, which wasn't much fun. 
and they kept trying to reduce the labor stopping stuff and it kept um, not working because as soon as they stopped it, he went, I went back. Anyway, they decided at 36 weeks. And it also, we didn't have scans in those days, but Patrick was scanned. Um, they, they were a brand new toy in the hospital. And he was scanned and they said, probably at around 32 weeks, and they said um, that he was very long and a big baby. And was I sure I got my dates right? And I knew I got my dates right. And then he, um, they also did the lung function test and his lungs weren't ready, so he had to stay. And they gave me a company full of steroids as well and various other nasty things. Um, and I basically went a bit mental. I went a bit psychotic because I, one night they came in to top up my drugs and I apparently, I don't remember it, attacked one of the nurses. Had a sort of panic attack and so on. So, and I ended up sitting in a wheelchair outside in the cold October, calming down, because all I wanted to do was get out. Anyway, they let me out as soon as I was 36 weeks. And I booked a hair appointment, went and had my hair done, went into hard labor then and there, got back into hospital five hours later. And he got his bloody head stuck. So, I don't know if it's the shape of my pelvis. And all these women saying, oh, you've got big feet, dear. You shouldn't be having this such a problem. Um, he was Vontus. So they did manage to turn him and get him out without too much damage. And he was the angriest looking baby I have ever seen in my life. And he was so cross. And he carried on being cross until fairly recently. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure it was the drugs, but... The thing then was that when they stitched me up, they went, bloody hell, that's an awful lot of scarring you've got down here. And I went, yep. And then I basically had a copper suspension but when he was about four, because by then I couldn't even make jump off a curb slightly without wetting myself. And so I had terrific, horrific problems. Um, with that. So I had a culpable suspension and that helped for a while until it started, then when, when the asthma started getting really bad and I was a coughing asthma person, that didn't help and I went to see my GP and he said, oh, you're just going to have to tough it out. Sorry, you've already had surgery for this, you can't have it again. And Anyway, one, when I had the cancer, I was coughing an awful lot because, of course, it was lung cancer. And I was using all sorts of horrible pads and what have you. And after they had finished treating me and decided, I, yes, I probably was going to live, I told the specialist nurse in the gynae ward, because the secondary, the primary cancer they eventually thought was probably a uterine cancer. So they um, whipped the whole lot out. And she said to me, are you having any problems? And I said, well, you've not left me any room for us to have sex. Excuse us, Nikki. But I said, what did he think he was doing? She said, we had to take the whole lot out, absolutely everything. And so, okay, but he could have told me. That would have saved a lot of pain and agony. But I said, and also, I am really leaky again. And this time, so they sent me for a mesh, which was about three years ago. Um, and it sort of works. But I'm not, it's not nearly as bad. I can cope with it now. I just use one the base layer of padding 
um, and most of the time it doesn't doesn't need it, but it's just more of a security blanket. But basically, if that first labour had been better managed, that is my opinion as a mother, and they had looked, probably if they'd done a C-section, none of this would have happened. Now, I don't know why babies turn their heads around to get them jammed against your pubis, and we didn't have scans then, so maybe they could have seen it if they'd had a scan then. But I still feel really quite angry, still to this day, because I've got such long-term side effects from it. I mean, Matthew's 42, 43 years old now, and Patrick's 37. You know, that's a long time to be having side effects from badly managed births. And I discussed it with a midwife friend who I made as a friend afterwards. And I just said, Could you, would you mind if I talk to you? And would you tell me if what happened is normal? And she, I told her all about it and the timeline because it took about, things started going wrong and it took about three hours to get to the end, which is a long time. And they were monitoring his heart and saying, oh, we've got to get him out quickly. And then they didn't and you know, it was all in the middle of a huge thunderstorm as well and all the lights went out, which didn't help. Um, <laughs> and she said, no, that they should have seized you right at the beginning and it all went wrong at the beginning when they realized nothing was happening. And you probably wouldn't have had all these problems. It would have been uncomfortable, but you'd have been fine. And then when I asked for an elective C-section for Patrick, and they said, oh no, no, you don't need one. You'll be fine this time. And I wasn't. And he was eight pounds, 10 ounces at 36 weeks very very long and very skinny and had all the hair and the stuff that pre-babies have so they said oh we you obviously got your dates right then and i said yes <laughs> so i just i the second time around i was patronized i was told i was a silly woman just because it happened once didn't mean it would happen again and yes we'll look after you and blah 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 and they bloody didn't I know they're busy. And again, the midwife herself was absolutely super, but the junior doctor and the, the you know, the consultant didn't turn up until the last minute, you know, and he was, the anaesthetist was there trying to prep me ready for a C-section with Patrick. And then all of a sudden they managed to get him out all in a rush. Um, and I just thought it was just horrible. Not like these lovely births you read about. So if someone came to you who was uh, newly pregnant yep. and didn't know anything, them. but if she didn't know anything and she wanted you to just tell her, help her decide where and how to give birth and what, what would be the, the main piece of advice you would give her? Well, I went to birthing classes with the National Childbirth Trust, but I don't think they were as good as they were are now. We didn't have water births then, though, le, 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 whatever his name is, La Roche, La Bouche, Lefebvre, someone like that, um, was just starting to do them. I, I was working for the NCT at that time, and I thought that sounded quite nice and very natural. I would tell them that we must stick to their guns, and that if things, they must know what can go wrong, 
they must know that it can, for most people it is probably okay, but that you have to have clear written directives. I didn't, we didn't have birth plans in those days. Um, that if it gets to this stage, I want you to deal with it fast and get the bloody baby out before I ask you to chop its head off. You know, and to be very more, much more proactive because actually losing your sexuality, which is what happened to me, effectively, because I have no feeling down there, so it's just, you know, the nerves and everything. The episiotomy was huge. Um, in fact, I think there were three lots of scars. I can still feel them, what's left of them. So, you know, they're there. Um, probably because I keloid scar, actually. It doesn't help. Yeah. But I would just tell them that they, they, you know, you see, so we have a program in this country called One Born Every Minute. And I've seen some beautiful births on that, with women having water baths or just very calm, you know, with a midwife and a husband and very little pain relief, depends on the person, everyone's different. I didn't know, I would definitely not allow anyone to give me a, um, an induction like that again. That was so violent. It was like the first contraction I had with that was probably 25 minutes after they put the drip in, maybe a bit more, and it was like being kicked in the stomach by an elephant. And I was told by the midwife I spoke to later that it should have been very gentle and progressive and slow. And I think things went wrong from there. Yeah. So, but you've probably heard this particular story about a dozen times now. I'm hearing so many stories, Percy, you would not imagine. Yeah. So what would you say is the most important thing? If you had, a, if you had an opportunity to to speak to the medical people, what would you say is the most important thing to prevent trauma in childbirth? And I'm not talking about the kind of physical trauma that comes out of nowhere. I'm talking about the actual lifelong trauma that so many women are living with. Don't treat me or you like an idiot. Listen to us. Listen to what we are saying. And if necessary, if we're not clear or if we are a bit garbled, ask us the right questions and don't patronize us because we're you know we might be women um and all the nurses and so on are and the midwives generally speaking are brilliant i have absolutely no problem with them it's the medicals so the consultant both my consultants actually were women but they were very officious and bossy and getting on with it because at both times it was one o'clock two o'clock in the morning and they'd been got out of bed you know um and i just thought oh. and i think the second time i got a consultant because the first time had gone so badly wrong um and i still wish that they'd managed to get her there half an hour earlier and give me the c-section so because i might have retained some bladder control and all the rest because there is nothing worse you know, I was uh, 26 when I had Patrick, and by the time I was 30, I was full-blown incontinent. You know, but I went and had all these operations and spent a lot of time going to gynae physio. If you've never been to gynae physio, it's a whole barrel of laughs. 
actually it's quite fun it's quite nice because the gadgets they stick up you and the places where they put the pads the electric pads on to squeeze the muscles also feel quite nice in other ways as well so <laughs> you know but um, no it wasn't good and you know and the only good thing is that i'm glad i had patrick second because if i'd had I'd gone into labour with him, with Matthew, at 36 weeks, I wouldn't have known what was happening. It just felt very, I, I knew it wasn't Braxton Hicks because it was too early and I knew this was actually serious. When, and, you know, my waters didn't break or anything, but I knew this, this was not a practice go. This was a, you've got to do something about this now. And we had friends for lunch. And it, the first contraction was quite hard. And I just went, Ugh! and whoever it was went, you're all right. I went, well, I shouldn't be having contractions, but I am. And they said, right, you better get off then. We'll look after Matthew. <laughs> um, and then I was in hospital for all that time. And I think that's when Phil started having affairs. So looking at the well, he used to not visit. And he was always too busy on the farm. And we, there were no mobile phones then either, so we, who knows. But his behaviour signs were there from then on. So. so what? So outside of this interview, I actually know you as an incredibly strong woman. So what would you say is the key to having to bring in that kind of confidence and strength into the ability to give both on, on your terms. If I was miraculously going to give birth now, because of what knowing what I do, I would say, this is how I would like to have my baby. However, I realize that this isn't always possible, but as far as possible, I want you to treat me as an intelligent person. And I want you to listen to what I say and I also want you to tell me what's happening because they didn't so it was all people doing things to me but not telling me what was happening so you know yes it was all a bit of it can't have been that much of an emergency if they were using um high forceps I don't know maybe it was I don't know enough about it but um it was all very rushed and everyone was talking to each other and not telling what was happening. So keep talking to me. Tell me what's going on. I'm not stupid. I do know how a woman's body works. And that's the thing I would say is the communication in, generally speaking, in doctors and there is dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. And it's the same later on when I had the cancer. I made them communicate with me. I made sure they knew that I knew what was happening. I did a systematic review to look at the options for treating me. I told them and they went, ooh, and then they started treating me like a human being and an intelligent person. But I don't think many people go to their consultants meeting when they've just been told they've got a possible three month lifespan with a mini systematic review saying, well, what about this and what about that and what about the other? So, yes, I am strong. Some people call it difficult. <laughs> oh, yes, difficult. Mm. You, gave, you gave life a good uh, run for its money. 
I'm still doing it. I yeah. had a good session on the water this morning. That was good as well. <laughs> so I don't know if that helps you at all. I've got a few more questions. Okay, off you go. Do you think that the way that you gave birth affected the way that you live your life? <sighs> Certainly affected the way I lived my life then. And I was really angry for a very long time about everything. Um, for no particular reason. And I think psychologically it did damage me. And I had a very, very serious depression um, when I split up with my husband, when he walked out on me. Um, mainly, well, I went and had some therapy and stuff and they said it was because I had to grieve for my father and we never talked about the birth of the boys, but I don't think that was not part of it. I think that was part of it. And I have been prone to depression ever since. And it, I never, I, the silly thing is that was 40 plus years ago. I should have forgotten it by now and I can't. I don't think we ever forget our birth experiences. The oldest woman I've interviewed so far is 78. Okay. So 16 years older than me. Yeah. 14 years older than me. Yeah. Do you think that the way that you gave birth affected the, your relationship with your children? Not with Matthew. I absolutely adored him and he was quite an easy baby and then he started getting ill and so I was worried sick with him. I think my husband found it very difficult but I don't know if that was the fact that he had an illness that was just being discovered was a genetic illness or not and our family don't do things like that or whatever but he basically shut down while Matthew was in hospital and uh didn't really bond with him he never really bonded with him as a baby whereas Patrick this huge grumpy scowling piratical looking baby um he bonded with him immediately and loved him to bits whereas I had this screaming two-hour baby he, he he didn't sleep for more than two hours at a time until he was five um which I'm sure is part of all the problem, drugs and things. Yeah, I can't prove that. He's just a difficult chap. He's been a difficult chap since before he was born. So <laughs> um, I found Patrick extremely difficult then, all the way through, because he was so angry about everything, because he would never sit and have a cuddle. He wasn't affectionate. He wasn't, and I would try and be affectionate and I'd get pushed away. So, you know, really, horrendous we are we we've, if he has a problem now he rings me first not his dad which is interesting but otherwise he never makes contact so I rang him the other day he's working somewhere in the Mediterranean at the moment probably um, just off Spain and I rang him the other day and I just got a message back is it urgent I went no just wanted to see how you were and that was the end of the conversation so it's a uh, no news is good news with him but he does rely on me to keep in touch with his daughter because they're separated and um, that's messy as well. So do you consider birth to be a feminist issue? Well, yes and no. Yes, it's a feminist issue because we have, we're the ones who do it and we don't have an option on that and that's fair enough. But Possibly. It depends. Again, it's all this business about 
the people who are assisting you, and most people need assistance of some sort or another, even if just holding their hands, if the people who are assisting you are in tune with a woman's ways, and yes, that's fine, but it's, it's communication. You see, I'm not, I always call myself a feminist and I'm going for the feminist. I've done it for years and I burnt my bras and I joined the women's lip thing and I joined whatever it was called um, when I was a teenager and I bought all the magazines and I went on the marches and everything else and I still have. And I'm very, very strongly keen on the way that women are treated better in business and everything else. But I'm not sure about birth because it's a given we have to do it. We, there is no option. We can't say, sorry, mate, you're being an absolute bastard. You have a bloody baby. So is it a feminist issue? I think the way they treat us when we're giving birth is a feminist issue. And that's different. <laughs>